Hey, Sens fans, this is Stuntman Stu, and you're listening to the Six Sens Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's Monday, June 27th, and we are back with another episode of the Sixth Sense Podcast. My name is Graham Nichols. I'm joined on the line right now by the Graham Creech. Creature, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, you've obviously been busy, but uh, it's nice to finally have a chance to chat and uh, talk some hockey. Um, thoughts? It was a big weekend. Uh, the NHL draft was happening in Buffalo. Uh, what did you do for the draft, and what did you think of the weekend? Uh, for the draft, I actually I was able to watch the first eight or nine picks, and then I had hockey myself, so I heard what the Senators did in round one on the radio, and then uh, I missed probably the rest of the first round because I was playing, but uh, that's what I did. And then I worked the draft at uh, TSN 1200 on Saturday for rounds two through seven, but uh, yeah, I uh, took in, I guess, the first ten picks live, and then the rest on the radio. Um pretty cool to get uh logan brown just with his connections uh to the city i know some people make fun of all the uh, local connections the senators seem to be making lately but it's a storyline i'm not gonna I'm not gonna shit on a prospect or or offer my two cents on somebody i haven't really seen play and i, I do that every year i think that's pretty standard I, I i basically make my opinions just on the people that i talk to who do see these players on a regular basis and even at that windsor only played the 67s twice last year, so some of those people I talked to only only got to look at Logan Brown twice. But it seems to be a good pick, and in most mock drafts, he seemed to go be labeled for around number 10. So they got him at 11, traded a third-round pick for him. I think that's uh, not too bad. And he seems to be obviously that big body, six foot six center who uh, has a scoring touch and and a creative stick too like he's i've seen his highlight package some of the the passes he makes for goals uh look pretty pretty and that's what i like to see in a player you know what playing it safe with your analysis is the right way to go after that whole don brennan garbage pick for carlson thing uh i think it's everyone's best interest just to like pump the brakes a little bit and uh be a little more reserved with their with their opinions regarding prospects especially kids that you haven't even seen before well, that's the thing. Like picking at this spot, like if they were picking one or two, then you could be fired up or disappointed with what they did. Or if they had made a trade and picked somebody who was pegged for the second round, then I'd probably show some disappointment. But most of these kids I've never seen play live, uh, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say one way or another that I'm I'm really pumped for the pick or, or I'm really disappointed because it wouldn't be fair to the player. So let just that, let that pan out. Yeah, I, I like what you actually said about the local connection thing too. I I think this city has grown really cynical. Uh, just whenever you hear, uh, Hey, this guy's local connections, it's, it's, it feels like the organization prides itself on adding people who have those local connections as opposed to skill. And I, I think it's totally unfair to Logan Brown to write him off or dismiss him uh, as that same category as player, uh, as a player, because he does have high end skill. And if you read all the scouting reports and, and, and firsthand viewings by people who've watched him all year, uh, he kind of has that like Joe Thornton vision. Uh, he, Joe Thornton seems to be the very common uh, comparable that people seem to be throwing around uh, Logan Brown's way. 
Yeah, and that's he mentioned that that's his favorite player. That's his idol. That's who he models his game after. So uh, I don't know if you, if you follow me on Twitter, I I probably had four or five Joe Joe Thornton tweets during the playoffs just because the guy's ridiculous. I don't think there's a forward in the league that's better at at seeing the ice than he does uh, from the blue line in. Like he just makes ridiculous passes. So if we can get a sample of that, that I'd be pretty fired up. Yeah, and I think it's about time that the organization added someone who has that first line upside i think over the past number of years we've seen the organization add those those guys who project to be second third line players and now granted his ceiling isn't safely projectable but you have a guy who has a chance to become a first line player in the nhl and that's very hard to get especially where ottawa is picking at 12 yeah a deep draft for for half the first round uh, it seems like a lot of teams were happy with what they uh, they were able to get, and just just looking at some of the the senators did a good job in uh, doing profiles of the prospects leading up to the draft, and just watching some of the videos and and reading what the scouts had to say on the players, like it, it do, did seem like a high end uh, draft for the for the first half of the first round. Um, and to be honest, I probably would have been pretty happy with anyone in that in that uh, area where they picked in. What do you make of, you said earlier that uh, you didn't mind the Senators giving up a third. Uh, it seemed like a lot of uh, pundits and uh, the, the social online commentary wasn't very uh, kind to the Senators. But I kind of looked at it as, listen, New Jersey's either bluffing uh, that they're going to take Brown or they have a back pocket deal uh, with another team who really likes Brown. Uh, personally, you look at the odds of a third round pick panning out. They're not very high. I, I know it's an asset given up, but at least in this case, the Senators got the player that they really wanted. Uh, I didn't really have a huge problem with it. Uh, where do you come out on that? Same thing. I, I when I heard it when I, I was driving, I heard it. I was like, ah, oh, they traded a third round pick to move up one spot. But they had to think that with the way the draft had went before that, with a couple of surprises and and guys moving down, um, they had to think that all right, this guy's got to go next. We we can't see him not going next. So let's trade a third round pick. Uh, for the chance to get this guy, and and they probably had him ranked uh, a lot higher than McLeod, who they, in Ottawa's opinion, they probably uh, didn't want that to happen. The chance that they, if they had these two guys and one was ranked much higher, let's go grab him. If New Jersey's on the fence about who they want to take, or or maybe they did have McLeod higher, let, let's just go in there and make that move. So I don't know. I they felt they strongly about making the move, and they got their guys. So. I'm fine with it. McLeod was kind of the one guy for me who scared me a little bit because you read all the reports, tools off the charts, skates very well, unbelievable stride, uh, flies all over the ice, but his offensive upside was questioned. And looking at Ottawa's needs, Logan Brown seems like the better fit to me. Um, But looking looking at the rest of the weekend, uh, Ottawa wasn't able to trade the rights to Alex Chiasson or Patrick Weirkoch. Um, Apparently Pierre Dorian was trying like hell to make it happen. Finally, that came to fruition this afternoon. Uh, Patrick Weirkoch wasn't qualified. He'll become an unrestricted free agent. But the Senators did wind up trading Alex Chiesson to the Calgary Flames for Pat Seeloff, a left defenseman uh, who was a second-round pick back in 2012. Um, what what do you make of the whole Chiesson? Like, if you had to revisit his time here over the last two years, how would you characterize his story it was disappointing because of the fact that he was the major NHL piece that was coming back for Jason Spezza. Uh, Hold on. You, you think he was the major piece? Uh, NHL. Oh, okay. That's NHL. fair. Yeah. All right. Um, 
I'll yeah, agree he, with that. he was he was the one guy that stepped into the lineup where you were hoping for something from. Um, do you think that? Do you think that created more criticism or like I, at one point, like I kind of feel bad for the guy because you know everybody's everybody else in that package was a prospect or a draft pick. Uh, whereas you know they're out of sight and out of mind. Whereas like he's at the forefront, it, it kind of felt like he was a, a bit unfairly judged or maybe judged a little more harshly than he deserved, possibly. Yeah, probably. And the other part too is he was given because of that, or partly because of that, um, he was given the opportunity with power play minutes and, and top six ice time uh, at times. But like the guy's an NHL player, I. I for the most part, I wouldn't have problem with him being on my team as, for sure, a fourth line player in the right situation. If if you don't have any any kids that could come up and play that, or some guys that offer you a little bit more skill, um, but maybe they're undersized playing on that fourth line. Um, in Calgary, if they think he's a right fit for, well, I think it was eight hundred thousand or something he signed for. Like, I, I think the guy's an NHL player. It just he was just probably blocking guys from coming up in the, the Senators organization, not to mention what was it have to be qualified, I think, at 1.1. Yep. So a little bit too much for, for what he's going to offer. No, and you look at the right side, and you have Bobby Ryan, Mark Stone, and then Chris Neal's never going to be benched until the moment he retires. Uh, and then you have Curtis Lazar, who can kind of sit, who can sit in on the fourth line or third line. Uh, whether, or not I, whether or not the organization plans for him to play center or not, I have no idea, but He's, he has to play over Chieson. You have to let that guy develop at a higher level than uh, what he's been playing at right now. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting to see if a lot of people have him pegged in as that like fourth line or, or one of the four guys on the right side, but he went off uh, saying that he'd rather play fourth line center uh, than up, up in the lineup as a third line winger. Um, but that, yeah, That's kind of crazy got- to me, though. Is that not crazy to you? Because... If you're playing on the fourth line with Chris Neal, you're not doing anything. And that's going to cost you. If you have any offensive upside whatsoever, that's going to cost you money. Yeah, and maybe maybe he's thinking that maybe with injuries he'll get bumped up in the lineup. Uh, but he definitely, like, he, just watching the last handful of games in the season, he definitely looks more comfortable up the middle. Uh, and you could see, cause everyone talked about how, how good of a skater this guy was. And I didn't really see it through most of his career to start. Mm-hmm. But once they put him in the middle, you could, you could see, like, his, his skating through uh, the neutral zone and his transition that, like, he actually is a pretty decent skater. He's just, I guess he says he's working on the offseason on that, that natural finish and scoring ability. <laughs> yeah, those are easy to work on. Um, the, actually, you know what? The one game, the one game where I noticed that he was flying was when he returned to Edmonton, and he was all over the ice. And that was perhaps the best game that I've ever seen him play because he was just everywhere that night. Um, I am skeptical. I, I was crunching numbers actually right before the show, and I was looking at guys who played over the last two seasons. Uh, when looking back at Shea's time, so of like the two hundred and forty forwards who've played 1,500 five-on-five minutes. Shaysong was 230th out of 240 skaters in points per 60 minutes of ice time. Curtis Lazar, 237th. I'm starting to think that Curtis Lazar has kind of entered that dangerous territory where he's that young prospect who had pedigree, who hasn't been able to produce at the NHL level. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder if this is the year where I wouldn't say fans necessarily turn on him, but his game's going to come to the to the spotlight, and a lot of people are going to analyze his game and say, "Hey, this is a make or break year. If he does, if he can't get things going this year, maybe it's the time to trade him out." Yeah, I, I just hope that wouldn't be too late. A third season 
Uh, if, if it starts negatively for Curtis Lazar and he's not putting up the points, what are you going to get in a return for him uh, after two-plus seasons in the NHL? Um, I think for me, I, I like Curtis as a person, and I like a lot of things. He, like Everyone says, oh, he does everything right, but he does. He, he, he takes care of the puck uh, when he doesn't have it, uh, like he's in the right position. I just For me, I've never seen that natural finishing ability. I just... I don't see it there, and maybe it is. Like I'm not, I haven't given up on this guy. I'd like to give everyone a chance and a benefit of the doubt. I just, I haven't seen that ability to go score some goals. The one thing I thought that was interesting when Guy Boucher was introduced was that he singled Lazar out specifically. I forget who the other skaters were actually that he mentioned in the same breath, but he singled Lazar out as being one of the guys that he was most looking forward to coaching and helping develop. He, he pegged him as one of those young guys who he thinks he can help bring along. Um, I don't know what he has planned because, like you, I haven't seen a lot of that uh, offensive creativity or the ability to get a shot off quickly. And it's just, for me, watching Lazar play, I find him very predictable. Like, you can always watch him play and know what he's going to do two steps before he actually does it. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's been a tough start for sure. Uh, You can see it on the stat sheet see it in his numbers he, he says that he's that's what he's working on this year and his in his skates in Kelowna he's <laughs> tweeted at gong show about sending him a, a, a puck catcher whatever that uh a saucer king games called <laughs> uh, so he knows that he needs to work on it and, and hopefully it comes for him because he's a nice guy he's a good player uh he just uh he needs to produce a little bit more at this level yeah and i think in fairness to him uh even going back to your comments about him wanting that fourth line center role maybe it's just gotten to a point where he just needs a niche he was bounced around so much uh over the last year from line to line to line it never really felt like he found his his role so hopefully a comfort level uh, an improved comfort level can help him out in that matter um looking at another one of the players uh from this afternoon patrick weirquatch wasn't qualified at 2.7 um was that a surprise to you? No, I don't think it was a surprise for anyone. You can't, you can't pay him almost three million dollars to to come in and pay on, play on your bottom pairing, or maybe not even be in the lineup. So that uh, wasn't a surprise. What do you? How would you characterize his last two seasons, going back to maybe the last year to around the new year? Promising to start. Uh, I know I've. I, I spoke out against uh, against Patrick probably a little bit um, before he had the success playing with Cody Cece and then going to the World Championships. I I maybe picked apart his uh, defensive game just just as an inability to to pivot. I find um, and just the plays he was making um, in his own zone when he gets the puck to his partner. I found like he'd, he'd rim the puck a lot, not giving his uh, his partner a good chance to make the next play to, on a breakout, especially if his partner's playing the wrong hand on the other side. Um, so I, I was a little harsh on that. He does have the ability to make that first pass, and, and he, he played he played very well uh, down the stretch last year. I didn't, I didn't see it at all this year. Um, I guess you can't take creativity away from a guy, but I just, I just, I just find it he doesn't have enough patience or the ability to make a quick decision uh, with the puck to to be able to find that again. And like, I'd give this guy a chance uh, on a two-way contract uh, worth not a lot of a lot of money because he definitely has that ability. Uh, he just hasn't shown it since uh, the start of the season. I have a feeling he gets a one-way deal somewhere. There, there's so many franchises these days that seem to be going all in on the analytics movement and becoming more 
numbers centric, I, I guess would be the right way to put it, uh, that I could see him catching on with a team like Arizona or possibly even Florida. I don't, uh, I probably should have done this research before, but I don't believe he had good um, analytic numbers last year, did he? Uh, for the 2015-16 season? Yeah. Uh, it's it's not, not if you looked at his raw numbers. I think if you looked at his relative possession metrics uh, relative to the other defensemen on this team, that's where he kind of shines a little bit because behind Eric Carlson, I think he was one of the guys who had that positive differential. But I think that's, you look at Ottawa's blue line last year and it was just so bad that it, it kind of makes his numbers look better because you look at his numbers, uh, if you look at his wowies, his with or without you numbers, uh, besides Eric Carlson, he was a plus player with Eric Carlson, but that's usually when the Senators were trailing in games. He, he would only get the opportunity to play with Carlson when that happened. But away from Eric Carlson, his Corsi rating was like 46.5. So I don't think it's... A lot of people like to give Weirkoch the benefit of the doubt because he is that Corsi darling. But at the same time, I think he has to take ownership for the fact that his season wasn't very good at all. And I know... I, I thought Cody Ceci in the first half of last season was absolutely dreadful. And I think he, he should shoulder some of that burden because that second pairing was just awful. But at the same time, like I, there, I, I think there's a lot of Weirkotch apolo- apologists out there who, you know, will just write off his season uh, because he has, you know, he is that Corsi darling. Yeah, and I, I think he has taken responsibility. He's one of the guys that's pretty hard on himself um, when it's not going well. Uh, I do like he's going to get a chance with someone. I honestly think that it's going to be on a two-way deal, but that he will get uh, get some games and hopefully he can show. Uh, his his passing ability, his ability to make that first pass, but I just find, and and part of it could be confidence, and part of it, like the great point that you brought up, is just that whole blue line was a disaster until the uh, the Fenuff trade. Um, it, so it could have just been playing partners as well. Uh, but to me, I was not confident most of the time in him on the ice when people are coming at, attacking him because I just I, I have no confidence in his ability to pivot. I thought he got caught on that all the time. Um, and that, that got him into a lot of trouble. So going back, when you have a hard time uh, making a turn and the, there's pressure on you, you don't have that much time to make a, uh, a good play to your partner or to a forward, and I, I found he struggled at that. And I guess for me, why part of it also is that he's only shown about 20 games where he's been great. So for a majority of the time, he hasn't been great in my eyes. Yeah, and I think yeah, I think if you were to defend Weirkosh, I think people would say conversely that that opportunity just hasn't been there as much as it was in the second half of um, the 2014-15 season as well. He's kind of bounced around the lineup and not really solidified himself as, as a regular. Um, but I, I think he'll catch on. I think I think there's enough there. I think if you look at his power play, productivity i think looking back since he broke into the league i think he's like one of the best point producers on the power play on defense i don't know if he's that's got just a bomb too yeah like i don't know it's hard it's hard to evaluate him because in ottawa you know you had the you had eric carlson as a one defenseman who's playing two minutes a game on the power play so there's not a lot of point production for weird catch um as a point producing defenseman uh in that respect but uh i i I like the guy. I hope he catches on. Uh, you know, I pumped his tires quite a bit over the last few years because I saw him as better than some of the alternatives, and some of those alternatives are still here. But at two point seven million dollars, you can't justify that cost for what he provided last year. Exactly, and that, that's that's my main 
main point is you couldn't bring him back for, for that value. And I, I don't think he's going to be anything more than a five. Uh, so you can't qualify that. No, and you can find guys who are good coursey defensemen, uh, like Mark Barberio, for example, uh, on Montreal. Perfect example. Uh, you can find guys like that at, at a lesser cost than what Weirkoch is going for here in Ottawa. Um, but switching gears, um, it certainly has the feeling like this offseason is essentially going to return the same roster. Pierre Dorian's been on record over the past three, four weeks saying, hey, I love my top six. I love my top four uh, defense. I love my goaltender. This is a playoff team, I feel. Um, do you get the kind of sense that what we see is what we're going to get and there's not going to be a lot of roster shakeup before July 1st? Yeah, I wouldn't expect too much. Um, just with the money and uh, and what they have to trade. Um I don't expect too much. He, he, Dorian did mention that he would like to add a defenseman. Um, I, I do like their blue line since the, the FNUF deal. I know that's a lot of money, especially uh, in the years to come. That's going to be a ton, a ton of money tied up back there. But I think they have a very strong uh, top four. And I love the way Cody Ceci played down the stretch. Since, since the, the FNUF deal, and even when FNUF was out of the lineup, I, I felt Ceci played with that confidence. Uh, he was moving the puck. He was skating with the puck, which I didn't see at the beginning of the year. Uh, so I, I love, I love that top uh, four. The one deal I could see being made, uh, and I feel like maybe this is something that gets done in the season, but I, I could see Mark Mathot being moved. You think so? I know. I know it's like heading into the expansion draft process that it's probably going to come down to him, CC or Lazar being the odd man out. Um, I don't know. It, I I I just have a hard time seeing him being moved out because he's been Carlson's mainstay. Uh, partner for the past two seasons. Yeah, and I, I'm not calling for the trade. I just, because of the expansion draft, uh, you're going to lose somebody. Uh, he does have a bit of a high hit. He's been a solid partner for Carlson, but I think the Senators are going to look at what they have coming. And uh, if if it gets out to a bad start, uh, I, I could see him being moved. I, I, could, I could see that happening. Uh, entering the season, not so much. I, I don't think that's a, a deal you make in the summer. Um, I, I don't know. I just have a feeling about... Uh, about Mathot being moved in the season. And that's the kind of guy that a contender might want at the deadline, too. Um, exactly. He brings a lot, and he's, he's bringing solid. Um, and hopefully that top four gets off to a good start. Yeah. Um, looking at the roster as it stands, though, if you don't anticipate Ottawa making a ton of moves, uh, obviously they'll probably make uh, a few depth signings. I'm looking at their roster. It seems like there's some bottom six holes. Um, you know, I, have, I myself have reservations about the third and fourth lines. I look at Smith had a great year last year. Uh, playing alongside Pajot, they'll probably be reunited to start the season. But I'm I'm imagining Mark Stone will have the opportunity to play with Clark MacArthur and Kyle Turris again on the top line. Um, I, I I have serious reservations about the productivity of the third line without Mark Stone because Zach Smith was bound for regression anyways. He's not going to shoot 20% again. Um, and especially if Curtis Lazar is on that right side, I just don't know... I just don't know if that line could be as productive as they were this year. And then you look at the fourth line. Uh, now that Shea Song's gone, there's a hole on the left wing, and there's a hole at center. And then you have Chris Neal, who arguably on a very good team, he's not in the lineup. Um, I don't know. There's there To me, it seems like there's a lot of question marks on the bottom six. Uh, where do you come out on that? Honestly, it's, it's just such a muddy picture right now. I remember we did this 
entering the season last year, and we were talking about how there was way too many bodies on the blue line. I think there was like nine or something uh, NHL contracts they had last year, uh, including Phillips, because we weren't sure what was happening to that. And I, I'm, I'm kind of the same way with their bottom six. Is, is Zach Smith, are they going to keep him on the wing? Uh, is Curtis Lazar going to be a center or a wing? Is Gigi Pajot going to get a look ahead of Mika? Are they going to trade Mika? Like, I just think there's too many questions right now to for me to figure out what their uh, their forward group is going to look like, and not to mention Clark MacArthur, who played four games last year. Um, I think if if this line if this lineup's healthy, it's going to be pretty strong. I just I, I don't know what, especially with a new head coach in Boucher, where guys are going to play. But I, I would expect for sure Zach Smith to start on the wing. Um, and I'd probably put him on the third line. And I, I I don't think his numbers are going to be as great as they were last year, but the guy does have a great shot. And if he's playing with someone that can get him the puck, um, I think he's going to have decent numbers. So if you had to dress the holes, do you, is there a guy that like piques your interest looking at looking ahead of free agency? Is there a guy that you see in free agency who just be like, hey, you know what? That guy could be a really good fit for Ottawa. The only one that I've really looked at that I would love to add would be Brian Campbell, but that's on the blue line. And where do you put him uh, when you already have that top four? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's the one guy I, up front. I'm not even sure, to be honest. I haven't taken a big look at uh, of what's available in terms of value players to add. Um, it seems like there's a lot of previous there were a lot of former rfas uh who weren't qualified this afternoon uh, brett Connolly, uh former top 10 pick of the tampa bay lighting he wasn't qualified by boston this afternoon um there's a few other names that stand out do you think chris kelly has a possible return I, he was injured last year times about uh, that potentially being a match for him to come in and play uh bottom six center role but again they have they have so many centers yeah and with the way jg pajot played at the end of last year like what what do you do with him do you start him ahead of of mika and i keep him where he is to be honest with you but so, so you'd have a problem with the third line of smith pacho and insert one of the guys well yeah or? yeah depending on what they do in the and what depending on what they do on july 1st maybe you can find a decent right winger and then you can play curtis lazar as the fourth line center if that's where he wants to be um it's yeah. It's it's really. I don't know. I I just hope that they don't go all in on a third line of Smith, Pajot, and Lazar to start the year because I have serious reservations about Smith and Lazar dragging down Pajot uh, as we saw at the beginning of last year. It's just I I don't want to go through that again. And you finally had an opportunity to see Pajot flourish. Um, you're right, though. Like the Senators have a lot of have a lot of centers within the system. Uh, I'm hoping they'll be patient with Nick Paul. Um, maybe they'll kick tires on on possibly moving Mika at some point, um, whether it's this year or next year. Um, it's hard. It, it's it's really hard to tell. It seems like the the Senators are in a situation where they just need a couple placeholders for a year until some of the better forward prospects emerge and are ready to play at the professional level. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally agree with you on that. All right, buddy. Uh, so I, I got nothing left. That's that's all I got on my piece of paper. But um, thanks for coming on. Uh, we got July first coming up shortly, so maybe next week we can hear something out. Yeah, maybe there'll be a clearer picture of that uh, that lineup for sure uh, <laughs> after July one. Because like, it's we have the same 
conversation every year. It's just uh, so many bodies right now and so, so many, many balls guys in, the air, in yeah. certain positions. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, listeners, uh, stick with us. When I come back, I'll be joined on the line by McKean Hockey's Grant McKay. So stay tuned for that. We'll be talking the draft. All right, everybody. Uh, joining me on the line, I'm very pleased to have him on, is McKean's Chief Amateur Scout, Grant McKeg. Grant, welcome to the show. How was your weekend? Oh, busy, busy. Oh, I can imagine. Um, how about just to like, preface this interview? As the Chief Amateur Scout for McKean's, I'm just kind of wondering if you could describe your job a little bit and discuss how much time goes into your work and how many games you have the opportunity to watch. Uh, being from the Ottawa region, uh, are you more OHL-centric with your work, or do you also spend a lot of time getting to watch other CHL games or games in Europe? Well, being so close to both Hall and Ottawa, um, I, I, uh, I cover both leagues predominantly. You know, I can get to uh, get out to games in, um, in Ottawa and uh, Gatineau, Fairly easily, and then I also go on some, uh, you know, some road trips uh, regionally. For the most part, you know, Montreal, uh, uh, Val d'Or, places like that in the Quebec League, and then uh, Kingston, uh, predominantly, um, you know, Kingston, Ottawa. Most of my games in the uh, in the Ontario Hockey League, but um, I, you know, I I'd probably uh, see about eighty games uh, live uh, per year. And then, uh, but do a whole pile of uh, video scouting on top of that. Um, uh, you know, been doing video scouting for a lot of years, and um, I find that it's good. Uh, you know, it's it's good to um, get tendencies and and such with with that, and you get to see a lot of scouts, obviously, or a lot of players that you don't get to see. Just don't have the budget to be going, uh, you know, flying out west or. Uh, you know, overseas and stuff like that to see games. So, um, but also we, um, you know, at McKean's we rely on um, scouts in those regions to to give us their reports and and such. And uh, it's all it's all considered as well as um, uh, being a former NHL scout on a part time basis. Um, uh, I have still have connections and I've, I've um, you know uh, obtained connections in the past few years uh in the scouting world professionally and i uh you know some of some good friends that are that are scouts and we talk regularly and i get i get a lot of feedback on uh you know who they think are the best players and stuff and they tell me if i'm crazy about somebody that i really like or and it helps guide me uh you know when i uh determine my final list so there's you know there's several sources that i utilize and uh Put in a pile of uh, hours each each year. Um, I co-publish it with the McKean's um, publisher, who has been, uh, you know, uh, scouting for the last twenty three years. He's been putting out the pool yearbook and, and has always had, as far as I'm concerned, the best um, published uh, coverage on scouts. So between the two of us, we do the rankings, the final rankings, and uh, like to think we come up with. Uh, the best um, independent scouting list 
It sounds incredibly thorough, and this is probably going to be a really loaded question for you. But I, you know, now that you've had a chance to reflect on uh, the draft and like all the analysis that seems to come out at this time of year, um, especially on the internet, um, everyone seems to be a scout without having watched many of these players live or on video. Uh, what's your assessment of the amateur scouting world these days? And in your opinion, how much bad information is out there that uh, people have access to? Well, yeah, it seems like everybody's got their own list, you know, these days. Like, uh, you know, you go on Twitter and say, well, here's my draft list, and you don't know who the heck the person is. And, you know, um, I mean, anybody can take like 10 different scouting uh, scouting uh, agencies, uh, come up with a, you know, an average on where they rank everybody and say, well, here's my list, you know, and you just don't know. You don't know what's uh, credible and what isn't. And, I mean, there's new scouting services uh, sprouting up every every year now because I guess you know um, people have a lot more access to uh, watching games online than they used to and stuff. I mean, I think that a lot of the a lot of the lists are better than they used to be because you know you're actually able to if you put the time in you're actually able to uh, to scout these guys and get a get a bit of an idea. But um, with the you know with the amount of uh, different lists and and agencies out there now. There certainly is a, um, you know, a, a lot of misinformation that you get, I do believe. And, uh, you know, you have to sort of know which, ahead of time, which guys are the more credible um, scouting agencies. Perfect. Um, all right, switching gears to the 2016 NHL draft, which happened in Buffalo this past weekend. Um, the first two picks unfolded as expected, uh, but after making after failing to essentially swap down, Columbus uh, took Pierre Luc Dubois with the third pick. Uh, were you just were you surprised to see Columbus pass on uh, Pouliou Yarvi, or do you simply view this as Columbus going out to get the center uh, because they traded Ryan Johansson earlier in the year? Well, the funny thing is that uh, you know a lot of scouts and myself included aren't aren't positive that Pierre Luc Dubois is going to be uh, center, but obviously, to be given every opportunity in Columbus, I thought he was better, uh, more effective as a winger uh, past year. And the majority of his uh, career to this point, he's played on the wing. But you know, in all his interviews and that, he says he wants to be a, a centerman, and uh, obviously, Columbus intends on giving him every opportunity to do that. Personally, I think Pulley Arby, you know, uh, if, if a team really wanted him to be, uh, could be a, an excellent center. He reminds me so much of Trevor Linden, who was a winger in junior and got converted to center in Vancouver. And, you know, that worked out pretty well. Um, I mean, he's got the size, the uh, smarts, the skating, the grit, the defensive awareness to be a center if uh, that's what a team had wanted. But obviously, uh, Yarmo Kekalainen wasn't sold on that and wasn't sold on Puliarvi to the extent that most others were. And, uh, yeah, I was surprised that uh, they passed on him for Dubois, especially since we had Dubois ranked eighth on our list. So it wasn't like we thought he was the consensus third overall pick, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking of consensus picks, uh, it seems like there were divergent opinions or rankings on where Clayton Keller could fall. Obviously, he went seventh overall to Arizona. Um, considering his hockey IQ and offensive acumen uh, were so lavished uh, in McKean's review, I'm just kind of curious, do you think his placement in the draft uh, was just a byproduct of his size being a smaller guy, or is this simply the reflection of the high-quality available talent that was there earlier? 
you think he should have been higher? Uh, I'm just no. I'm just I'm just wondering if if he could have. No, I mean, well, like uh, seven was higher than anybody had him ranked. So I mean, I don't think that there's a you know, um, it was a reflection of his size. I think it was a reflection of his ability. Like just about every list, uh, Bob McKenzie's included had him you know lower than seven. Um, I mean, it's a fantastic top fifteen this year and. As far as I'm concerned, there's no, you know, there's no difference between the seventh rank guy and the twelfth rank guy, really. I mean, you could have plugged anybody in there. Um, uh, Keller was a riser. We ended up with him eleventh on the list, but I had, you know, I had a feeling that the buzz was that he was going to go uh, higher than that, uh, as uh, you know, the combine and you kept hearing stuff that, you know. Maybe at the end of the day, people are going to forgive the fact that he's 5'10". I mean, I think there's one centerman in the top two in the league, uh, you know, that's 5'10 or shorter. That's a top two center in the league. It's So, I mean, you know, there's always going to be some hesitation with that. I believe Tyler Johnson, the list starts and ends with him. So, um, you know, the, the, the concern would be, can he handle, down low, can he handle the big, the big powerful centers that he'll be up against, you know, but Keller is such a uh, smart player, as you say, and is, uh, you know, he's got such great uh, awareness, smarts, and he competes hard. So you have to, uh, you have to think that he'll be able to make the adjustment uh, at the NHL level to uh, play the top two center. And um, I kind of had a little bit of a feeling that maybe Arizona would go a little off the board and take him at seven. But I certainly don't think that seven was, you know, uh, lower than what he was expected to go. I, I'd have been really surprised if he'd have gone top five. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so going into the draft, I was kind of anticipating the Ottawa Senators to go after a skill center. Um, the hope was that a guy like Keller or Jost might be on the board. Uh, obviously, the Senators moved their third-round pick to move up a spot with New Jersey so that they could draft Logan Brown. Uh, what's your opinion of Brown and... Projecting forward, what what do you kind of anticipate Logan Brown being? Well, uh, personally, I like him more than Joe, so I uh, I had no problem with them uh, moving up a spot to, to get him. I you know when they did make that move, that was who I had anticipated that they were going to get. Um, he. Uh, he really, um, second half of the season came on offensively, played uh, a lot more consistently, and uh, in the under 18s, he was sensational. Like both him and Keller, really rose their draft stock uh, with their performance at the under 18s. They were do- the dominant centers at that competition. Um, he's uh, his puck protection skills and his stick handling and vision are all uh, elite level. And if you can, uh, you know, you can get them working a little harder in the weight room and uh, off ice stuff and maybe be a little more consistent and competitive on the ice. Uh, the sky's the limit with this kid. He could be a uh, Joe Thornton type of uh, centerman. And I mean, they, you know, when, those don't come along very often. And I think, uh, I think the Sens landed a, uh, a high potential uh pick with that with him uh, a lot more upside at the end of the day than Joe's to you love his leadership and all around play and stuff but um, he's not a he's not a super fast uh, kid nor is he overly tall and I think 
when you look at the projecting their pro upside at the end of the day, Brown's got more. Uh, obviously, Jost is a safer pick, but I really uh, think that they uh, may have hit a home run with Brown at 11. That's fantastic. Um, just to follow up on your point, you mentioned his splits essentially, wherein you know he had he scored six goals and thirty six points in thirty five games to start the season, and then he notched fifteen and thirty eight in his final twenty four games. Uh, do you think the knocks on him, uh, talking about work ethic, uh, play play away from the puck, and goal scoring ability, do you think those were quelled because of the results more down the stretch, or did his actual play improve? Is it simply just a results based opinion? I guess is is what I'm asking. Well, you could, you saw the difference in his, you know, he maybe he got in a little better shape as the season went on. I mean, he didn't make the uh, Ivan Ivan Holenka team in the summertime. That's how disappointing he was and out of shape he was at the, you know, in August. So, I mean, maybe it took him a half year to get into good enough shape to start, you know, playing with more consistently and uh, and more endurance than he had earlier in the year, and it, and then it showed in the, uh, you know, it showed in the stats. Um, He's got a half-decent wrist shot, and I think he started to use it a little more often. He's got to keep working on his shot. I don't think he'll ever be a big goal scorer, but uh, Joe Thornton, you can say the same thing about him. You know, He's more of a pass-first guy, and that's probably what Brown's going to be. And I mean, that's okay if you get 50, 60 assists. You can forgive a guy for not being a 30-goal scorer, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 30 goals is a hell of a lot of goals in the NHL these days, too. Um yeah. Uh, so looking around uh, at the second round, the Senators selected Jonathan Dolan from Sweden. Uh, he's Alf Dolan's son. Uh, did you have the opportunity to see much of Dolan uh, throughout the course of the season? And if so, what were your takeaways? Well, Dolan, uh, you know, he um, being a uh, being playing in Sweden and not in the any of the uh, international competitions because I believe he was a late birthday. He um, you know, he wasn't at the Ivan Holenka and stuff like that. Uh, I, I saw him in some under-19 uh, competitions that, that uh, impressed me and then got, you know, got started watching him uh, on video in the Al Svenskin and uh, particularly in the playoffs. And he uh, he was one kid that I thought the team, uh, the scouts that I talked to were underrating. I really, uh, I really like his uh, offensive upside. He's not the biggest kid and, uh, Maybe not the fastest, but seemed to get a lot of breakaways despite those knocks, and um, was just a dominant offensive player in the you know Swedish second men's league at, at his age. Um, he was just lights out in the playoffs and um, very smart, very opportunistic. Uh, I think they got a, a really solid uh, prospect that you know if everything goes right with him and he can. Improve skating a bit, um, his upper lower body uh, strength. Uh, you know he has uh, his top six upside uh, as a ceiling. So I mean, you get some someone in the forty range uh, that, that has that upside. I think you you got to be pretty happy with it. That's that's fantastic to hear. Um, Ottawa going into the uh, fourth round. Sorry, uh, they raised some eyebrows going off the board a bit and taking overage forward Todd Burgess uh, from Fairbanks of the NHL. Uh, the Senators weren't the only team to to take some overage players in their draft. I think Toronto raised some eyebrows as well. Uh, what what do you make of all the teams that quote unquote reached on some of these overage players? Well, I think once you get to the fourth round, you can't really consider it a reach here. Uh, 
you know, I mean, you're get you're getting in the territory where maybe 10, 15% of the players ever make the NHL. So, uh, as the scout has said to me before, it doesn't matter what age you are, if you can play, you know, I mean, they don't always get looked at and, uh, and scouted in their draft years and they sometimes develop a little later. I, uh, personally like the, um, the overage picks that Toronto made, uh, all three of them, I think, uh, really caught my eye, and I was quite uh, impressed with all three out in the Western Hockey League. To be honest with you, uh, don't get to see any uh, NAHL. You've got to kind of rely on other people's opinions on that. And he, uh, Todd Burgess, was someone I did not see last year, and didn't even, you know, didn't even know that he was, you know, on. I mean, there's guys you just don't, you can't get to scout five, six hundred guys. You know, there's some that you you miss and uh he's one guy that i uh we didn't rank or nor did we know that he was uh on anybody's radar so there's always those guys and so i mean i can't criticize it or or praise it one way or the other you know um hopefully he uh he works out for them and uh you know um come the fourth round you're you see guys that all over the board like from you know, kids playing in the NAHL to, uh, you know, Russian kids that are like 21 and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think, you know, fans will get a, hopefully he shows up for the development camp and uh, get a better gauge on him then. With their fifth round selection, uh, Ottawa took Max Lajoie at a swift current. Uh, McKean's had Lajoie as their 111th uh, highest rated draft eligible player. Uh, what do you like about his game? Well, uh, Lajoie last year was, you know, um, early on, like we had him, uh, pegged as a possible second rounder going into the, into this year. Um, most scouts really liked him as a 16 year old. And for whatever reasons, he didn't, uh, he had a disappointing season this year. Um, and that's what, uh, ended up dropping him. And, you know, you, you like to see the guys continue to improve and, if they don't, they sometimes drop maybe a little more than they even deserve. That would probably be why he ended up being a fifth-round guy. You know, Sokolov's another uh, example. Like, a lot of people had him, like, as a top-ten guy going into the draft. But, you know, he had such a uh, – he was overweight and had such a poor year that he barely even got drafted, as it turned out. Um, he's – you know, the kid's got a lot of uh, – he's got a lot of ability and um, – there, there's something there, and if you can, uh, you can correct and you know what, whatever it was this year that uh, that stalled his improvement and get him back on track to where he looked at as a 16 year old. The uh, Sens might have a really, uh, really good pick there. I, I, I like that one in the fifth. I believe they uh, they got a kid that has a chance to uh, to make it if everything uh, everything turns out right. Fantastic. Uh, looking back in retrospect, and I know you have some work uh, coming out later this week, uh, without giving too much away from uh, what you're going to publish, uh, w- was there an organization or multiple organizations whose draft you came away really impressed with? And conversely, was there one or two that left you scratching your head a little bit? To be honest with you, I have uh, I have yet to, uh, to really start each. I've only just got the list of each player that you know, went to each team and been real busy uh, answering uh, questions on Twitter the last day and a half. <laughs> I haven't really even yet had a chance to, you know, 
it's just been overwhelming with uh, I can imagine. everyone wa- wanting to know, you know, how did our team do and this and that. And then finally I just said, well, I'm never going to be able to do the draft grades if, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I just keep answering these questions, uh, check the draft grades when they come out. But um, w- something that stuck out for me uh, was that I there were um, – picks that every Canadian team made that, you know, at some point that impressed me a lot. And I think all of, I don't think any of the Canadian teams had a disappointing draft, to be honest with you. Um, you know, for, for varying reasons, uh, Ottawa, you know, didn't have a lot of picks, so you can't say, oh, well, they had like six guys I really like, but the, the top two guys really, uh, I really do like. And I, those are the most important ones, obviously, are, you know, the guys that are, that are uh, picked at the top. Um, Edmonton and Toronto, I think, both had really good drafts. Uh, uh, Montreal, um, they got two guys in the third and fourth round. They traded their second round picks and then ended up picking guys in the in the third and fourth round that I thought should have gone in the second. So, you know, you got to be impressed with that. Um, Winnipeg getting uh, line A. I mean, I think you know we we ranked him the first overall pick in the draft. So. Um, think he could be a 50 goal scorer someday. So him alone, uh, you know, makes makes their draft uh, impressive as far as I'm concerned. And you never know with Stanley. I mean, he was uh, one guy we thought was overrated, but he he uh, paired him with Myers down the road. You know, I don't think they could just stand there and put their <laughs> sticks out and you can't get around the two of them. You know, um, <laughs> Luke Green, I, I thought. Um, was a uh, you know we had him ranked at the end of the second so there's some offensive upside there Stallard in the fifth is a good pick Cedarholm uh, has the ability to play you know to play at the next level uh, so you know uh, all in all they had a, a good draft I really there were some people criticizing Vancouver for having uh, taken the levy but I thought that was I mean they don't have a number one defenseman no. future number one defenseman and I uh I really think that he'll be uh, there, you know, when you get a chance to take a number one defenseman, the value is so high that uh, I really, uh, really like that. And I really like Lockwood as well. Candela, Stuco. I mean, so as far as I'm concerned, all of the, uh, you know, Kachuk to, to Calgary, Fox, I mean, love Fox and they didn't get him till the third round. So for me, every Canadian team did things that uh, you had to be impressed with. And, Sticking with some local junior prospects, uh, obviously Vitaly Abramov, uh, I believe he was projected to be second-round talent uh, by McKean's. Uh, he slid to the Blue Jackets in the third round. Uh, Dante Salatero wasn't drafted for the second consecutive year. Uh, were you surprised by either of these developments? Uh, well, Abramov, um, we had him in the 50s, so he went early 60s. That's not, you know... When you get uh, you get past the fifty mark in the draft, you you know anytime you're drafted within ten, fifteen spots, I don't think you can consider it a a major shock. Um, you know, you saw a lot of independent lists that had like I don't know top fifteen and top twenty and stuff, and I was pretty sure that that was you know that wasn't going to happen. So you know when you you do see it, when you look at it that way, you think, oh well, he really dropped, but. You know the independent lists are not are just that they're independent. Um, I uh, obviously Abramov size is uh, you know is what dropped him and uh, and a lot of guys like Will Bitten, it's another local guy yep. that 
that you know we had uh, ranked in the second round uh, close to Abramov and he dropped to 70 you know so uh it's funny that you know it's uh, it's a size thing and um I think both of them have the skill to play at, at the next level and hopefully both of them prove uh you know, prove teams wrong and that they end up being guys that should have been taken in the top 50 because uh, certainly the skill is there. Um, as far as uh, um, who was the... Salazaro. Yeah, well, again, <laughs> size, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just unfortunate that he's, uh, you know, he's uh, so, so short. Uh, but, I mean... <sighs> It's 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 one thing to project these guys to be really good junior players, and it's another to project them to be, you know, to be able to play at the NHL level. And I think, you know, I mean, uh, Salatero is a great junior player, and he might, you know, he may become a good AHL player in the future. But it's just uh, to crack the NHL at his size is it's just so rare. You know, you have to have like almost have like a another gear. Uh, in your skating that nobody else has. And I don't know that that's the case with Solitaro, even though, he, you know, he's fast and, and um, so smart and such a skilled player, but it's uh, just, you have to almost uh, be in a different dimension when it comes to your speed, uh, like a Tyler Ennis, you know, was yeah. just, he made it because he was just that much superior skating wise to other people in this draft year. And I think that's the, uh, the issue with Solitaire. Fantastic stuff. Uh, Grant, now that the draft's over, uh, what do you have coming up from Keynes? Uh, where can, uh, where can people find your stuff? Well, we're working on the pool yearbook now that comes out, of course, every, uh, every, uh, September. Um, I'm, uh, I'm working on the draft gradings here. If I, you know, people stop calling me to do <laughs> interviews and stuff. No, I'm just uh, <laughs> the, um, well played. Yeah. We'll get, we'll get that out, uh, sometime over the next two or three days. And then, uh, <clears throat> you know, I mean, people can still pick up the draft guide that didn't already, uh, get, you know, after the fact and look and see how your team did and, and all of the profiles and stuff. Um, you go to McKeenshockey.com and, uh, you know, you can pick up a copy of the draft guide and the, and the pool yearbook and the, you'll get to see the draft gradings and all of the scouting reports and everything else that's on there. Um, and get a three month subscription for under 10 bucks. Um, so right now I think is, it's kind of a, it's an optimum time of the year to uh, get a three month subscription because you can get all those things for uh, for ten bucks, which is uh, I think a really good deal. Fantastic stuff, uh, listeners! You can also follow Grant on Twitter at Grant McCag. Uh, Grant, thank you very much for coming on the program. <laughs> Sorry to keep you away from your reviews, but uh, <laughs> look forward to reading them once they're out. Thanks again for coming on the show. Okay, thank you. All right, take care. We were sitting out on the step, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't nothing to it. Like, so what you gonna do, Ronnie? Yeah, man, I'm gonna go in and win this girl. I know the rap man see what his head is all about. Oh, no, no. One, two, three. Now I'm gonna say this one time, boy, and that's my word. We're rocking shot, the knock fire.